0: Hail and well met. Welcome to another episode of Self Evident. My name is Jenna and with me is Eliana, Alyssa, and Kenna Rose. And we are in the IFI office today. So if you hear background noise of laughter or just loud talking, that's just because we have a bunch of buoyant coworkers in the office with us that that's right. They don't understand when you have a podcast going, it's you know <laughs> being recorded, but that's okay. We solved we them anyway. So the topic we are here to address today is actually the issue of euthanasia, which is medically assisted suicide. And I know this is not really a topic that many people would consider prominent in the West, but I know that for
1: myself, I never even thought it was something to really think much about or that was coming to America. I mean, like I'd heard of it in maybe over in the Netherlands or in Canada, but I was like, oh, that belongs in the past,
0: kind of like with Nazi Germany. Unfortunately, it's becoming a lot more of a Topic nowadays, there's also a lot of messaging going on to the younger generation of euthanasia is a compassionate way to care for older generations or um, disabled individuals.
1: I think live action, like a while ago, we even posted that there had been a book written for children, a of, coloring book. Yeah. Yep, trying to in
0: Canada, they're they're act they're actively um, showing that this is not a uh, this is an option for older generations and the disabled. There was recently also a movie that came out in the past 10 years, I think it is, that really promoted death with dignity. And it was portrayed in such a positive, happy light that people who are terminally ill and are suffering could go out with with joy. And we just wanted to address this and see what what's the actual truth behind euthanasia. And so Eliana, I think you have the background of this. Euthanasia has been a
2: very divisive topic in Western history, and rightly so. Uh, we're talking about literally giving a doctor the ability to determine whether or not someone's life is worth living, and not only the doctor, but the person themselves. That Sorry.
1: can't go wrong at all. Right? And,
2: like, literally taking, attempting to take life and death out of the hands of God and put it into your own, basically, and to the doctors. And so... We shall become as gods. Exactly. And, and uh, euthanasia... First appeared in Western societies in 1870 through Samuel Williams, who wasn't a doctor, wasn't a physician, and he first made the case that doctors should have the wherewithal to provide a peaceful death to their patients. Obviously, his remarks sparked a huge debate in, in the United States as well as Britain regarding euthanasia. Shocker, Ohio actually attempted to legalize it shortly thereafter in 1905, but was ultimately defeated. And so... Euthanasia was kind of put at a bit of a rest until 1997 in June in America when a handful of physicians took this matter to the Supreme Court with the case Washington versus Glucksburg. So Dr. Harold Glucksburg, along with four other physicians, prosecuted the state of Washington for banning and criminalizing medically-assisted death. They claimed it was un- unconstitutional. Mm. they Position on this came that banning it was going against the Due Process Clause of the Constitution, which, as just a brush up for those listening, says that "...no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property." Without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal
0: protection of the law. So basically, they were saying, like, oh, you cannot take away our privilege to kill ourselves, or exactly. to help other people kill themselves. And exactly.
1: Isn't the due process clause technically the clause by which they claimed Roe v. Wade? Yep. That's could true. Be legal?
2: That's true. Exactly. This so there's like a little there's a little pattern there. Exactly. At first glance, you know, euthanasia and. The abortion discussion doesn't seem um, th- like th- they're that similar but a- as you start to look at them you realize it really is just the exact same thing under a different yeah. set of clothes where are the arbitrary lines that make human a human exactly exactly and it, these all have to do with the sanctity of human life the reason I'm giving a little more context to this specific case is because of Chief Justice Renquart well this chief's summary the court ruled unanimously against Glucksberg's opining that the right to assisted suicide is not a fundamental liberty interest protected by the Due Process Clause since its practice has been, and continues to be, offensive to our national traditions and practices. The court concluded that the ban on assisted suicide was rationally related to the state of Washington's pursuit in protecting medical ethics— Shielding the disabled and terminally ill from prejudice which might persuade them to end their lives. Mm. That was in nineteen ninety seven. Fast forward to today and we have eleven states that have legalized medically assisted suicide. Okay, so states that their legislator has made a law about this is Colorado, Hawaii, Maine, District of Columbia, New Jersey Which is not a state. Which yet. is yes, right? <laughs> New Mexico, Oregon.
0: Vermont, and Washington. And Oregon is actually the state that has had medically assisted suicide the longest. It's about, mm-hmm. I have, they, they've had it legalized for about 10 years now. Yeah, and that's, that's a long time. Yeah.
2: Mandated by court ruling, we have Montana and California.
0: I believe actually California has also now made it legal.
2: Um, In Canada... They're well on their way to legalizing euthanasia for their youth. Yeah,
0: so they've have they have like everything else legalized for mm-hmm. um, consenting adults and things like that. See, and even pushing
2: for without parental consent, so a child, a literal child, can just go, you know, without doesn't even need parental parental consent for assisted
1: suicide. And statistics have shown that today's generation of kids is actually worse off in their mental health than ever before right teen suicide
0: is through the roof and apparently exactly. um especially with teen girls uh the suicide rate is 30 percent higher than in boys wow that's so sad yeah so i can only imagine this is going to make it so much worse because the, yeah youth is hard anyway and so when just you g- life in general is exactly. Hard. exactly when and you so give us an option as a way out and that's an, another ironic thing that i'm trying to con like make the two make sense is you know there's a huge push against teen suicide right and now all of a sudden we're talking about no legal suicide so on the one hand teens are being told like no suicide is wrong and then on the other hand they're like oh but if a doctor tells you you can do it absolutely it's fine
1: it's evidence of a very morally confused
2: society yeah absolutely Alex Schadenberg of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition states that now the Canadian government is considering child euthanasia and euthanasia of incompetent persons who requested death in an advanced directive. The requirement to consent to die has become only an option. And that is very scary to think about. And we've seen in the past that America seems to be just right behind Canada in a lot of these decisions. And so Um, Like kind of was talking about earlier, we think of this as something that is so either futuristic or so in the past and doesn't even touch us. But then we realize that this is like right on our doorstep. It is literally knocking on our door.
0: You know, actually, I read a story of, do you know how euthanasia was started in Germany? Hmm. A father contacted Hitler, who was the supreme leader at the time. And said, my son has been born missing part of his leg, part of his arm, and he's blind. My son is an idiot. The doctors are telling me that I can't kill him. Can you come help me, please? And so Hitler sent his own personal physician to examine the boy and then instructed the hospital to euthanize this child. Wow. And that was how euthanasia was started in Germany, to kill off a special needs little boy.
3: Yeah, and Nazi Germany um, came up with a hospital situation for euthanasia, so they would take um, kids with disabilities or learning issues, anything that brought, or the elderly, anything that brought difficulty to the family, they would take them to the special hospital, and they would send letters to the family saying, you know, we're taking care of your, your child, we're taking care of this person. Little did they know that they were going to a euthanasia camp. And that's kind of what started the concentration camps eventually was euthanasia. And then the family members would get letters in the mail saying that their loved one had passed away while in treatment, things like that. So everything in Nazi Germany started with an improper and demonic view of human life, who is able and who has the authority to take it. And like Eliana was saying, this is on our doorstep. This is what abortion is about, that you have the right to end a human life just because it's in a location you don't like, just because it's a financial strain that you're not ready for, that that gives you the right to end human life. Same thing with euthanasia. If you have a family member that is really difficult to deal with due to physical issues, due to mental issues, Because, you know, life is hard for you, you now have the right to end that person's life. Or if life is hard for you personally, you have the right to end your own life. That's totally okay. And
1: pretty soon that right
0: or that right to die becomes the duty to die. Yeah. Yeah. There was another story of a uh, 86-year-old woman who was a dementia patient. And her son and daughter signed the um, medically assisted suicide for her. and then proceeded to hold her down because she was struggling against the injection as the doctor injected her. That is, it's heartbreaking. Is that consent? Absolutely not. And see,
2: these new laws being created and these new laws being taken back and and those sort of things and overtaken creates this environment where things like that are able and allowed to happen. Mm -hmm. And there's just, even if, I'm not saying that it is, but even if assisted suicide in and of itself was okay, it still opens the door to all of these other things that are just abominations and horrible.
0: They always say that, oh, this is is the last door we're opening. No, opening one door always leads to another.
3: Exactly. It never ends. When I was a freshman, I was a psychology major. I am no longer a psychology major, but when I was, I studied a lot of human development. I studied a lot of human psychology and why people behave the way that they do, Um, what in our human nature makes us respond to certain stimuli, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, Mm -hmm. the topic that came up in one of our classes had to do with human behavior and authority and followers that we have this natural desire to follow some to lead things of that nature. Okay. And Nazi Germany was brought up because the question was raised, how could soldiers, how could normal people do the things that they did to others? Like what in our what in our minds made or what in their minds made them submit to an authority figure that Asked them to do such evil and torturous things to others Mm -hmm. and it was called the Milgram experiment and it was Studied at Yale University in the 1960s Um, it was called the Milgram experiment because Psychologist Stanley Milgram conducted a series of obedience tests and what he would do is He would put you know this doctor white robe on and he would bring people in and he would have a plant that he had, not an actual plant, but like a human plant that was in on the experiment, have him in another room and tell the person that they were experimenting on that when I tell you, you're going to shock this person with a certain, I've heard of this. With a certain number of voltages for um, a stimuli experiment. That's what they told their, their, their subjects. Anyway, um, so they would do it because the doctor, the authority figure told them to do it. And as the voltages got larger, the human plant would be instructed to scream or to say, please stop, et cetera, to push back against the experiment. And what you saw in the test subjects was they were getting really nervous that, wait, am I hurting someone? Is everything OK? And they would always turn to the doctor and say, is everything OK? Like, I don't want to hurt anyone. And the doctor would say, please proceed with the experiment and that's all that the doctor would say and what Stanley Milgram found is if there is an authority figure if there's a doctor if there's a sergeant if there's something if there's an authority figure in a position 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 of authority authority, people are likely even if they're committing heinous acts
0: they're going to do it because it's human nature. Yeah, it's exactly. Con- it, you're considered like, oh, this person's telling me it's okay, so thus I'm my conscience is wrongly informed.
3: Right, and that's what – and, you know, you might be wondering, Alyssa, why are you bringing up a subject of, you know, a psychology test that was run in the 1960s? Well, I bring this up because we're seeing this with euthanasia. Yeah. It's a doctor. It's an authority figure that's saying this is okay. They're a doctor. They took – you know, so many um, hours and hours and hours of classes studying how to be good people, how to help people. If this doctor is telling me that suicide, that um, this is the only option, that this is the my only depression. option, right. right? Then they must be right. I have to do this. And I think that's really interesting that America is falling for these evil devices exactly. that have been experimented on and found to be so evil.
2: Yeah, it's heartbreaking really and um, Alex Schadenberg and so th- he was the executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. He also he noted recently in a presentation that doctors self-report these cases in Oregon, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's in Oregon. And so, like you were saying, Alyssa, there is no accountability whatsoever. And so, doctors can prescribe or recommend death to whoever requests it on a mere whim. Someone can be having a bad day. Someone can be in pain. They can be like, oh, I just want to be PTSD. done. Veterans with PTSD. Exactly. And that's that's all that's required. It becomes an option. There are proposed like safeguards yeah. that are put in place to make sure that there aren't any boundaries being overstepped. But... What we found is that these only protect the physician. They don't protect the, the victim, really. And so according to more research done by the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, assisted death laws are designed to protect the physician or another who is willing to participate. These laws do not provide effective oversight and protection for the person who is being killed. These safeguards are designed to sell the legalization of assisted death to politicians who have concerns about killing, but they include exceptions that are wide enough to drive a hearse through. No pun intended. (laughs) That's right. The state of Oregon was the first jurisdiction to legalize assisted death in 1997. The assisted suicide lobby did not challenge the safeguards in the law because they wanted to convince other jurisdictions that there is no slippery slope.
0: And you're doing quotation marks.
2: I am doing. That's right. <laughs> I am doing quotation marks. However, in 2019, the assisted suicide lobby announced that the problem with assisted suicide laws is the restrictions. And this is when we see things start to um, kind of go downhill. And that one door open, we walk into. So they start to go to the next door. It it doesn't end and When your moral boundary is whatever you feel like and whatever you think, there really is no limit to how far you can extend that line.
0: That's right.
2: That year, the Oregon legislator removed the 15-day waiting period.
0: And real quickly, the 15-day waiting period is if someone um, requests a medically assisted suicide um, and the doctor confirms them. So there's like a whole process Mm -hmm. that the person has to go through. They have to be analyzed uh, by a doctor, they have to be analyzed by a psychiatrist, and if. They all get the green light like, oh, yes, your life is not worth living here. We can pass you on. You can go die. And so if they pass all of those tests, they have to then wait for a period of about 15 days. And it varies state to state. Uh-huh. Like in California, I believe it's like six days. Um, they have to wait a 15-day period in case they change their mind. Exactly. So now Oregon got rid of that. Because of the assisted suicide lobby is like, oh, no, these restrictions, they make people second guess themselves, which is literally what it's supposed to do.
2: Exactly. And that's why that was put into place. And so that people who are having a bad day or having a bad moment don't just do so on a whim. Instead, it takes them some time to think about it and really consider
1: it one thing that's very obvious as you start learning about euthanasia or abortion is that it really is less of like a battle of flesh and blood and more of a spiritual battle because you can just see this desire for death and destruction of those made in the image of god Mm
2: -hmm. that's just
1: unbelievably evil exactly and
2: another thing the euthanasia lobby alleges is that the netherlands have not changed their euthanasia law since it was passed in 2002. this however is inaccurate because Although the language of Netherlands euthanasia law might not have changed, the interpretation of the law has. The most recent example is the extension of euthanasia to include incompetent people with dementia. How heartbreaking is that? Canada is a prime example of a country where safeguards lack effective definition or meaning. And this um, is where changing the dictionary and controlling the dictionary really can change laws too because we think the constitution meant something when it was written and often the debate is well what did they what did they want it to mean what was the intended meaning right and when you change the words and when you change the the meaning of different words then You no longer have a set order of what things mean, and everything is open to interpretation, and that's where it gets to be a very dangerous game, and we're seeing that in other countries right now. For instance, Canada's euthanasia law required that a person's natural death be reasonably foreseeable. However, the meaning of this phrase was not defined, and consequently the application of the law varied. In September 2019, a Quebec Superior Court decision struck this phrase from the law. Canada is also a prime example of how a euthanasia law can incrementally expand. Canada passed its assisted death law in June of 2016. In February 2020, Parliament introduced Bill C-7 to expand the law by eliminating the waiting period, permitting euthanasia of an incompetent person who requested assisted death in advance and eliminating the terminal illness requirement. And this is when this gets also just extremely dangerous because you think no longer are people being examined the way that they were. No longer is this taken and looking at as as seriously as it was before. Now it's turned into more of a... Arbitrary. Exactly, arbitrary. Life has become less than sacred and it gets very, very dangerous.
0: Yeah, and I just want wonder- to... Restate that that information was from the euthanasia prevention coalition. Absolutely Um, If you want more information about this, they have pamphlets that you can download and everything I highly recommend them as a source. So basically safeguards are just designed to politically sell these laws to Legislatures so it can just get passed exactly Wow, so what are the arguments that people use for it and why should we be against it? I know we touched on this like throughout the entire time uh-huh. that Alayana was talking it's about it. It's hard not to. Yeah. What, <laughs> it is. what are what are the main arguments for that, Alyssa?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question because when we when we're talking about a topic like this, it's important to understand or at least have a basic understanding of what both sides are saying because you can't accurately argue A position if you don't know their you know their key tenets yeah Um, so because of that I'm just going to quickly run through the key arguments both for euthanasia and those that are against euthanasia
0: and this is from a secular source and this is
3: from secular sources Um, a scholarly article from the sixth edition of Holland free cancer medicine textbook lays out the chief debates for and against euthanasia really well, and I really want to run through them quickly. I'll have all of this linked in the description. Quote, individuals have different values and goals in life. We protect patient autonomy by permitting patients to pursue their goals. A proper death is an essential part of a person's goals and values as any other choice. Hence, to respect patients' autonomy, we must respect patients' wishes regarding the manner and timing of their death through euthanasia.
0: Okay. So basically, what they're saying is it's their body, their choice. They can decide. Doesn't that sound vaguely familiar? I, I think I've heard I don't that know. somewhere, huh? I don't know. Yeah. So, what's the second argument for euthanasia?
3: Second, it is argued that for some patients, the dying process inflicts significant pain and suffering, and that Mm -hmm. euthanasia or PASS may relieve them of these burdens. Hence, euthanasia or PASS, which is physician-assisted suicide, furthers beneficence or the well-being of sick patients. Mm -hmm. Indeed, for some people, just knowing there is the possibility of having euthanasia or PASS may be psychologically beneficial, even if they never use these interventions.
2: Which is such a straw man argument too, you
3: know.
0: I just think it's so interesting. It's like, oh, I can endure this pain. And if I don't want to have this pain, I can just kill myself. Mm -hmm. It's so opposite of the Christian view of life. Because the Christian view of life
1: is that there will be pain in this life and there will be suffering. But we can get through it by looking ahead to Christ. Because we know we have life after death. And we know there's a purpose and a reason for the pain. So you can just see how... Absolutely opposite the Christian worldview, these mm-hmm. arguments are, yeah. and how and, sad it is.
0: And we'll get to more of that of those biblical arguments later. But I think um, what a secular uh, another secular argument for that is: well, why endure suffering when you can just eliminate it altogether right mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, humans are made
2: to worship. As humans, we are worshiping something and for us christians we choose to worship god and that is really how it should be and you see that when you worship god not saying life is always easy things go a lot better the problem is is in a godless society is instead of having god on the throne people put themselves on the throne they put happiness on the throne their own well-being and honestly it's like they're really sacrificing things on the altar of themselves and and it's such a it's such a problem to get into because then you run into issues like these where human life is no longer sacred human life no longer matters human life is no longer something to fight for and protect now it's just how am I happy how am I going to make myself glad how am I going to protect myself what is the most thing that what is the thing that is the most convenient for me and it's very heartbreaking especially for people in this world who um, are elderly or who are less fortunate than
3: others and uh, yeah it's very very sad Mm -hmm. what's the third argument third proponents argue that euthanasia is morally indistinguishable from the accepted practices of withholding and withdrawing life sustaining care this is because the final result the death of a patient is the same in either scenario and because there is no moral difference between acts of omission and acts of commission From a moral standpoint, there's no difference between merely letting nature take its course and actively killing a patient if the patient consciously and knowingly requests his or her
0: life to be terminated. So like a prime example of this would be someone who is in a comatose and they are only alive because of the technology we have today. And Mm -hmm. the family is asked, okay, do you want to let them continue being kept alive by machinery or would you like us to unplug that and let them pass naturally if they can can't sustain themselves that was a hard argument for me to like come to terms to like well what is the difference between just actually like consciously taking the plug out and letting someone pass away naturally what's the difference between someone actually consciously making that decision before they get into that state of I have to be just kept alive by machines and we'll get to that answer in a moment what's the last argument
2: i remember hearing that there are like technically two deaths one is when it comes to life support one is like the physical death and then there's another so when you're kept on life support do you still have your soul or is that a debate left up for it because
0: i've actually never thought of that because
2: like if you're just being held held, kept alive by a machine then it's like it's just keeping your heart pumping and there's really you're still alive
3: though we wouldn't look at someone in comatose and say they're dead well no they are they have life support. well for example um people that need um pacemakers in their heart to help their heart stay on track to keep blood moving at a certain rate
2: yeah but they still have a conscious soul and they can still and and so i'm wondering if people that are like on life support, could you just keep them on life support forever and then we have people living forever? Or does life support eventually run out? Like Life what? support
3: eventually runs out. Okay. So eventually the body can't be sustained by any type of machine.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you do believe that there's still a soul and there's not just something running the things? Okay. No. Yeah, that I think there's still a
3: soul. Because Ben Shapiro was actually asked that question by someone who's pro-abortion. Um, and Ben Shapiro asked him, he's like, so you think consciousness determines life because people are brain dead. So do you think we just have the, the moral right to kill them? And the guy said, yeah. Then do people
2: wake up from being on life support then?
3: Has there yeah. ever been mm-hmm. people? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Multiple would- times. All right.
2: Yeah. Interesting.
3: Yeah. Pe- people from comatose, people who are brain dead. But there reaches a certain point in life support where doctors will come to you and say, there's no way that they are getting better. They're getting worse day by day. Um, and keeping them on this is just cruelty. Right. You're extending the pain for something that is already there. This is very different from someone who has no life support needs or anything like that and is wanting to kill themselves and wants help with that. That's completely different. It's like you have a gunshot wound um, patient. It's very like their sin of commission and omission. I think they're using biblical terms to try to make their point, and they're failing very badly. Because if you have a person who has a gunshot wound in a very vital organ of their heart, and you as a paramedic, you holding a cloth or something or trying to stop the bleeding is very different, even though they're still bleeding out and stuff like that. It's very different from you just standing there and saying, well, they're going to die anyway. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stand here. Right. they're dying, but you're at least trying to ease the suffering and pain. That's kind of what life support does. And that's actually a problem I have with um, Ben Shapiro and the other Daily Wire people is that they'll say, like, not everyone believes in God or religion. And so we, so we don't We're use not going to talk. It's like... I would never be a good they'll they would never hire me because i'd be one of those people that says i don't care if you believe in god or not i believe you're accountable to him yeah either way i've
0: I've given the example before but pastor wilson has the example of like you're being robbed at gunpoint and you tell the thief oh i'm i'm sorry i don't believe in your gun you can't use that oh and the robber's like oh Oh, i I had to know that and puts the gun away that's literally what christians do and when someone's like well i'm an atheist i don't believe in your god and so the christian goes Oh, I'm sorry. I'll use secular arguments then.
3: I have one final point to add to an argument that is used to promote euthanasia. Okay. So finally, it's argued that the adverse practical consequences of legalizing euthanasia or PASS are too speculative and hypothetical to determine whether to permit euthanasia or PASS. Indeed, permitting euthanasia or PASS should enhance the physician-patient relationship because it means physicians will provide whatever care, including euthanasia or PASS, that is necessary for dying patients.
0: And that goes above and beyond their Hippocratic Oaths. I was going to say, I don't know about Some you Some hospitals guys. don't
1: require that
3: anymore. I don't know. About really? Really?
0: I don't know about you guys, but if
1: my doctor had the ability to kill me, I would not trust them. No. Why would you?
3: Yeah,
2: don't
1: sign anything with your
3: eyes
2: closed.
1: But
3: then there's four parallel arguments for opponents of euthanasia. First, opponents claim that autonomy does not justify euthanasia or pass. Autonomy does not mean a person should be permitted to do anything he or she wishes, especially those actions that end the ability to act autonomously. On this basis, we do not permit voluntary dueling or voluntary enslavement. In addition, even if a person wants to commit suicide, it is another issue entirely to permit others to help. If you notice in the laws of our land, it is illegal to prostitute yourself. Mm -hmm. And yet no one knows that. There are limits to your human autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. And when it was put in our Declaration of Independence that we have the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, you notice there's a tier order in that. You have life, you have liberty, and then you have pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And if you have anything above life, it gets disordered. And actually, Kristen Hawkins, who is the, I believe, director of Students for Life of America, notes that in a lot of her campus speeches that she gives on abortion, that there's an order and there's a Proper delineation of our rights yeah. in government and in life.
0: That's very fascinating. Yeah.
3: Okay. Secondly, beneficence may not justify euthanasia or pass. Many terminally ill patients experience inadequately treated pain, fatigue, and depression. If we treated these symptoms adequately, few people would have extreme pain and suffering that would justify euthanasia or pass. Mm. Third, it is argued that there is an ethical distinction between acts of omission and acts of commission. Okay. Evaluating the ethics of an act does not only depend on its final result, but we also must evaluate how that result was produced and the intention of the actors. There are ethical and legal differences between cases in which a person was killed by mistake and cases in which the killing was premeditated. Oh, you think? Similarly, there is a difference between stopping a medical treatment and letting a patient die and intentionally and actively injecting
0: the patient with a medication to cause his or her death. Yeah. let go back to that. There, that was a true story about the dementia patient who was literally struggling against her son and daughter who had decided her life wasn't worth living anymore mm-hmm. as the doctor injected her with these drug cocktails. It's sort of like, so that's, it's the idea of the ends justify the means. If it's going to end in death anyway, why does it matter how? That actually makes a lot of sense. And that's probably I would say the root the root argument that the proponents have of this cuz if they're going to die anyway, why not just eliminate the suffering?
3: Well, everyone's going to die anyway. Why yeah. can't we go on killing rampages? Right, and that's why they have no reason to
0: say that's wrong. Yeah. That's 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 why Canada has legalized euthanasia for children now because if you're going to eventually die anyway, why not? Mhm. Exactly. I mean, technically, everyone's terminally ill. In,
3: like, life. Yeah. Yeah. Idea. As soon as you're born. Okay, I have one more point on what opponents say against euthanasia. So they say, or... Opponents note a variety of adverse consequences that might result from legalizing euthanasia or PASS, including disruption of the physician-patient relationship. Yeah, like
0: what Kenneth said earlier, if my doctor has the ability to kill me, why on earth would I trust him?
3: Exactly. Intrusion of the courts into terminating care decisions, coercion of terminally ill patients to commit euthanasia or PASS, an extension of euthanasia to children, mentally incompetent patients, and others.
0: And you can already see that's happening. Yeah. I, I also want to point out, like, for example, with older, um, with the older generation, for example, my piano teacher was in her late 80s. And as she got older in age, she was eventually kind of confined to her house because she needed high flow oxygen. Mm-hmm. And the high flow oxygen tanks that she had to be on kept her in her house, like she always had a chain of oxygen wherever she went. And so for the last two years of her life, she was confined to her home unless like except for like short outings with family and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and so what um, proponents of euthanasia would say is well what kind of quality of life is that they would completely ignore the fact that she continued teaching her 40 piano students every single week that she had a wonderful relationship with her family and they would say well she can't leave she can't leave her home what sort of quality of life is that and they would eventually convince her that she is such a burden on her family because her daughter did have to come and live with her for the remainder of the 2 years because well she needed aid in doing basic simple chores like cooking dinner and um, cleaning the house and so a, a euthanasia doctor would say to her like well why would you put yourself on your daughter like that she has her she has these this her life ahead of you how long how long are you going to be sticking around and putting a crimp in her style and someone like my piano teacher would have been like oh my gosh you're right i am hurting my daughter's quality of life i'm gonna be going anyway so why not just quicken the quicken up the procedure which is so
2: heartbreaking because when you look at things through a very analistic view and in a very analytic lens you don't see just how much love everybody has for her how much love um, her family had for her how much love she had for her family, and it's like to say that that life is not worth value
0: is so so sad. Yeah, and I want to go now to the actual um, etymology of the word euthanasia, and according to the online etymology dictionary, which by the way that's such a fascinating site to go on, um, euthanasia means a gentle, easy, happy death. And euthanasia in the United States is performed with a combination of multiple drugs, which the patient can either inject or swallow in pill form. And that is supposed to slip the patient into a coma and peacefully halt their ability to breathe. And so I wanted to just go through that and see if that is actually what doctors are helping their patients find in a 2017 article by USA Today. The reporter reveals the different drug cocktails medical professionals have been using under death with dignity laws in different states. And these drug cocktails are not what one would call gentle or happy uh, means of finding your end. Um, So this is a quote from the article. The first secondal, which is a certain drug, the first secondal alternative turned out to be too harsh burning patients' mouths and throats, causing some to scream in pain. The second drug mixed, which this was used 67 times, has led to deaths that stretched out hours in some patients, up to 31 hours in one case. And Ken and I recently went to a Speak Out Illinois conference where the uh, executive director of Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, um, Alex he was he gave a presentation, and he said, actually, some of these euthanasia um, attempts made the patient... Like, it lasted up to 104 hours in one case. This person was slowly... Their body was slowly shutting down. And I don't really think that's a very peaceful way to go if your throat is on fire. And anyways... No, that's speci- not ideal. Especially since he described it as
1: you're basically drowning.
0: Yeah. You're, you're basically losing the ability to breathe. And so this is another quote from the article. 20% of the cases were three hours or more before death, which... We think is too long, said Robert Wood, a retired HIV-AIDS researcher who volunteers with the advocacy group End of Life Washington in an email. He said the longest death was 31 hours, the next longest 29 hours, the third longest 16 hours, and some 8 hours in length. Now, Sean Riley, an end-of-life researcher studying in the Netherlands, and by the way, the Nether- what's going on in the Netherlands is absolutely appalling. I just didn't go into that right now. This end-of-life researcher states that, quote, The pervasive belief that noxious drugs are guaranteed to provide for a peaceful and painless death must be dispelled. Modern medicine cannot yet achieve this. Certainly some, if not most, executions and suicides have been complication-free, but this notion has allowed much of the general public to write them off as humane and turn a blind eye to any potential problems. Execution, or pass, they have never been as clean as they appear. Even with the U.S.'s medicalization efforts during the 1980s. Mm-hmm. End of quote. So, the idea that it's death with dignity and you're just peacefully slipping away is not necessarily true. Now, now that we've gone through the uh, secular arguments for and against it, we've we've touched a little bit on what a biblical worldview of this is. But, Kenna, what specifically does the Bible say about euthanasia? And first and foremost. Why is it wrong? Why, if, if God allows pain and suffering in the world and there's a way we can get out of it, why can't we just use it? I feel like
1: the first thing you notice when reading through the reasons they want to allow past or euthanasia is because of the fact that it's hard, life hurts, and they don't really want to deal with it. When you come at it from a biblical worldview, we know that life is hard. Back in the Garden of Eden, humanity separated themselves from a relationship with God. Nothing is going to be easy after we declare ourselves enemies of the creator of the universe. And for those who are Christians and have a right relationship with God, we know that there's still going to be hard things in the world because of the fact that this world is under the dominion of the enemy who wants pretty much the death of everything God created. It's really hard When people who want this and who want to get out of the hard things don't have a biblical understanding of life and death because without a biblical understanding of life and death, we were talking about this earlier, there really is no reason. Why is life sacred? Well, without God, is life sacred? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why does God allow pain and suffering is literally the one question that is asked, I think, the most by people who are not believers and who want to know why a good God would allow pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard question to answer. For Christians, we know there's pain and suffering because of sin and because of the fact that God is refining us and bringing us closer to him. We know that we see in Romans 5 that as Christians, we are to rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Or James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We also know that God sometimes uses the hard things in this world to bring people to him.
0: Yeah even if it's not through their suffering, it's through the suffering of a believer.
1: hmm And so you see in 1 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Or Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And verse 72 says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes." And I think that's just an example of God taking the, all the pain and hurt and everything that came on by sin, and it had to because sin is evil and needs mm-hmm. a punishment. Yeah, those who he loves, he chastens. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and I think the book of Job is one of the most theological books in the Bible when it, when it comes to a story of suffering. Yeah. You have this man that was righteous in God's eyes, and yet God allowed Satan to afflict him with so many trials, with so many devastations in his life. And Job gets to the point where he says, why? Why, God? Why did you allow this to happen to me? Did I? What did I do to inherit such devastation? What, is there something that I did? Because his friends were telling him that it was something he did and that got in his head. And I think God's answer is very interesting for believers to really take hold of. God's answer to Job is essentially that Job, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, why did I allow this? The question is, who? Who are you holding on to? And in in the midst of trials, we don't know what God is producing in us. Sometimes we do know, sometimes it's endurance, sometimes it's patience, sometimes it's compassion, sometimes it's love, the fruit of the spirit that's supposed to be evident in the believer's life.
1: Sometimes it's something we don't even know until years down the road.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. But what God confronts Job with is his character. He says, were you there when I laid the foundation of the world? Were you there when I put the stars in the sky, when I set the universe in motion? Were you there when I filled the ocean with all the creatures? And God leaves it at that. He confronts us with his character in the midst of trial and temptation and that would be one of my answers to anyone who asked me that question, it, specifically if they were a believer that, you know, who are you holding on to?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's very much the sovereignty of God is what we need to think of. He's a good God and we mm-hmm. know that. And so if he's a good God, then the reason there is this stuff in the world, it it will be good in the end and it will mm-hmm. glorify him in the end.
0: Absolutely. I think we've kind of covered a good portion of what the euthanasia um, argument is in the United States and in Canada, but I would highly encourage you to go to the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition website and do some research of your own. In conclusion, here are five reasons from the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition why medically assisted suicide shouldn't even be on the table. Firstly, it involves causing a person's death, and society should never allow one person to kill another. Uh, Safeguards only protect the physician. They do not protect vulnerable people. Third, it is fundamentally incompatible with the physician's role as healer. Fourth, doctors are fallible. They can make medical errors and misdiagnose conditions. They are humans, after all. And finally, legalization pressures physicians who then pressure patients what begins as a choice like kenna pointed out earlier what begins as a choice to kill or a choice to die becomes a pressure to kill and a pressure to die thank you so much for uh tuning in i hope that this heavy episode was informative in some way and until we meet again let us firmly rely on the protection of divine providence and let us remember that the care of human life and happiness and not their destruction is the first and only legitimate object of good government and that's by and that's a quote by Thomas Jefferson this is self evident